small though it is, the Doctor Who podcast can be quite effective when used properly. Special edition of the Doctor Who podcast, we are going to be addressing some of the bombshells that have been released on Doctor Who fandom in the past couple of days. Well, if you've visited any Doctor Who forums or Doctor Who websites or Doctor Who news sites over the last couple of days, you, you kind of failed to see some of the very interesting items that have been posted there, specifically to do with some of the reaction to the Sarah Jane Adventures screening that was on uh, recently. Some particularly large bombshells were dropped in this particular episode, and uh, we had our man on the spot there, James. Hello, James. Hello, Trevor. Hello, everybody. You were at this screening, James. Mm. I'll just say right up front, if you don't want any spoilers, Spoilers about Doctor Who or Sarah Jane Adventures, I would suggest not listening to this episode at all. It's merely here to try and address some of the interesting items that have come up recently about the whole mythos of Doctor Who. But if you're still with us, well, continue. I think the individuals who were present for the previous screening of Death of the Doctor were probably the least flabbergasted. I think the absolute outrage and the amazing reaction is is purely down to people who haven't seen the episode reading vastly exaggerated news reports in the media and thinking wow um i think there was one particular headline in the guardian in the uk and it just said doctor who is immortal and it's fantastic because clearly that journalist wasn't at a screening either um in my view this is an absolutely massive massive non-event um there's there's two pieces of dialogue Uh, which I will try and quote to you. Um, Okay, try and set the picture a little bit. You've got the Doctor in a ventilation shaft, and he's going one way. Now, the other way, you've got Clyde coming. And Clyde is looking into the Doctor's face, and he's saying, oh, I'd have thought your eyes would have been the same. But no, they're completely different, aren't they? Everything about you has changed. And the Doctor says yes, or just smiles or something. And then Clyde said, well, how many times can it happen? And because they're in a hurry to get out of the shaft, the Doctor says, 507, now let's keep moving. Now, just a small little exchange, two lines, two not particularly long lines, has set the Doctor Who internet ablaze. And as you correctly say, Trev, bombshells or reports of bombshells have been very, very prolific all over our forums, all over practically every Doctor Who forum. And for me, it was just an exceptionally glib throwaway remark that the Doctor made to Clyde in order to get him to stop asking questions and get out of the immediate danger that they were in. You've taken the wind right out of my sails, James. I was ready to go into a um, spite-filled 20-minute rant on <laughs> the way the way Sarah Jane Adventures is destroying Doctor Who mythos, um, because that's what I've read in the media. Mm. And up to what I'm hearing now from you, that's what I thought it was. My understanding of what was in the Sarah Jane Adventures episode was that the Doctor basically said, it can happen over and over. No. And so therefore the media have picked up on the fact that Doctor Who is immortal. Why are people ignoring the 507 and going for the limitless option? Well, because I think 507 in fan circles is the same as 1007. Um, in, in terms of, you know, a limit or when a Doctor is going to actually die, then the 507 issue, if you take it seriously basically means that he is immortal because he's never going to stop changing, he's never going to go from our screens and he's never going to die. 
And that, I think, is why there's been such a manic reaction to this particular episode. And as I said, I think, given the fact that this hasn't been transmitted anywhere uh, across the entire world, apart from at this screening, I just think it's really interesting observing the reaction, a complete inaccurate way of reporting a particular story. And, um, you know, when you read reviews of episodes when they broadcast or after they've broadcast in the UK or somewhere, they've got a grain of truth because at the very least, the journalist making that report or that review has watched some of it. On this occasion, the, the papers are trying to pick up on a story where they haven't seen a single second of the story. And it just shows how ill-informed our media is, I think. Uh, I think there is another side to it as well. Um, I think clearly some fans, the everything they hear on Doctor Who, on Sarah Jane, when it's quoted as a fact, as a fact. And this is something Russell T Davis has picked up on in the past. And he says he thinks it's unique to sci-fi. Just because it's mentioned within a script doesn't necessarily mean that characters telling the truth or being entirely accurate. So I still think the whole regeneration issue is still very much up in the air, irrespective of the uh, slightly irresponsible reporting, let's say. One thing I do think is going to be happening without a shadow of a doubt is that Russell T Davis and Stephen Moffat will be sitting back with tears streaming down their cheeks because they think this is probably some incredibly hilarious um, internet discussion that they brought about deliberately. <laughs> because in, in the Guardian article it says, Clyde asks how many times he can regenerate. The Doctor indicates that there is no limit. The action continues. Hence the, the use of the word the Doctor indicates, not the Doctor says. The Doctor said, oh, 507. But that's still a limit. That, that, that's, that's what really annoys me. I mean, I suppose in 1974, when Robert Holmes was writing Deadly Assassin, and they're running up to their fourth incarnation, he went, hmm, what limit can I put on Time Lord Regeneration for the purposes of this story? Ah, a dozen. Because that seemed like a long, long, long right. way in the future. It just seems like they're doing the same thing again, of course. But, of course, we're so <laughs> close to that 13th in incarnation now that you can't say that anymore. So you've got to say something even sillier, like 507. It, I, I don't think this was any intention to address the regeneration issue. Uh, we, lots of people have been focused on it. I know Tom has been focusing on it and has been expecting it to be dealt with um, at some point within a Doctor Who story, I think. And this is the writer's way of saying, look, it really isn't important, guys. And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get any more um, substance to that particular assertion that he can regenerate 507 times. It's just not important. Uh, the only people it's important to are us fans who are such a small percentage of the target audience, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Jam, jam. If there's a few things that are the cornerstone of what we know as Doctor Who, it's he travels in a big blue box called a TARDIS. He used to have a, a, a dog called K9. One of the doctors had a scarf, and the doctor can regenerate 12 times. That is so ingrained into the lore, even. If you stop someone in the street, that oh. they would be able to tell you that. I would disagree. I would agree with you with everything you said, apart from the regenerations number. If you ask and anyone within the UK, and given that allegedly Doctor Who has permeated their culture and everybody knows about it now, I guarantee you, you'd probably get about one out of 50 people that you asked, how many times can the Doctor regenerate? Maybe about oh. one in 50 would get that. Uh, that that's, I don't know. It, I don't think it's such an established ethos. 
I think we're going to have to do a very unscientific straw poll in the very near future. Certainly here in Australia, I think that figure would be a lot more than 2%. A lot really? More. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed. Really, I really do. I really do. <laughs> I think if you were to take a poll from fandom, then I would agree with you 100%. And I think you'd be looking in almost 99% of people. But the kind of viewers who watch Doctor Who these days, I don't believe they have any idea how many times a Doctor can regenerate. And even if they did, I very much doubt whether they would care about it enough to, I don't know, comment on a news story or join a forum in order to, to vent their spleen. I think it's just a case of, oh, okay, and... Just, just watch it for, for brand new stories. Well, th- this was going to be part of my rant before you totally took it away <laughs> from me with this total non-news item. All, all I was going to say was that I think you're wrong in that respect that no one cares, but I, I really think they need to deal with it at some point. Now, I'm fully prepared and, and I'm going to accept the fact that it's going to be dealt with in a very, very casual way. It, it's not going to be like a multi-arc story about how the Doctor beats his 13th incarnation and heads on into the future or, or, or anything like that. It, it's it's going to be dealt with in a really easy way. I've got the Crystal of Luxor, which will suddenly grant me an extra 507 regenerations, no problem at all, and then he travels off into the TARDIS. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I agree. It's important. It it really it, It's one of the cornerstones of Doctor Who, and I really hope that what you're saying about the general public and maybe... A, the majority of New Who fans in general doesn't permeate to the production team because that would be a real shame. Mm, I'm not sure. I think their priorities will be telling good, compelling stories and maintaining a very high audience, listener base. And I don't think they need to address that particular element of continuity that was established in the 70s in order to achieve that. And I, I do think if they do tackle it, if they do tackle it, then... It will be something like you say, it will be a throwaway section of dialogue or possibly even maybe a referral to an event that's already taken place in New Who that has rebooted the Doctor's regeneration cycle. Um, Let's say his aborted regeneration in Stolen Earth. Perhaps when he managed to change that because he had, you know, his hands there or whatever science was applied at the time, maybe that rebooted his whole new regeneration cycle. You know, and that that could be referred to inside of 30 seconds. You know, oh, I used to only have 12 lives, but now I've got 507 or, you know, (laughs) some other some other number. A lot of people are saying um, to to get around this, they're saying that because the time laws don't exist anymore or that the high council doesn't exist, people are saying, oh, therefore the regeneration limit doesn't apply like it's some sort of Uh. edict written on parchment passed down from the High Council, and now that they're not around to enforce it, then yeah. Time Lords can live forever. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of that theory, but it seems to be quite a, a strongly held belief by many fans. I've got a bit of empathy with that view. I don't like it, but the only thing that makes me think, well, yeah, got a bit of credibility there, is the Five Doctors, where the Time Lords offered a complete new regeneration cycle to the master mm. uh, in as much mm. as they had, well, we've got some, you know, in the cupboard over here. And if you do what we want, then we'll get the key out and give you one. And that means it's something that either has been invented or something that can be bestowed upon other time lords by, you know, the high council or something. So I think perhaps that's where that theory is rooted. I don't like that theory. I'd much rather it be something that is in the organic makeup of a Time Lord and they have t- mm, 12 lives. And yes, there are ways of, you know, prolonging your life. Um, 
via a variety of different means, you look at the the master again in a TV movie, somehow turned into a snake. Not quite sure how that worked. So, and I honestly think the people who will be considering and talking about this the most are us, the fans. The production crew will have far, far bigger priorities. And the only reason we had this line included, as I said, in this particular story, I feel, is Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat deciding to, you know, really generate a whole load of fan debate and then sitting back and watching and thoroughly enjoying themselves. And good luck to them. Good luck to them, <laughs> because it's worked perfectly. <laughs> Okay, not quite as controversial, but very interesting nonetheless. We've got an incredible reference here, or a set of references to past companions made in this story right at the very end. And again, this could be a complete gift to fans. And I wonder, I do wonder whether it will even make the transmitted version because the target market or the target audience for the Sarah Jane adventures, will not appreciate this scene at all. It's purely for the fans. Sarah Jane's having a conversation at the end, um, and again, I forget who it's with. I think it may be with uh, Rani and Clyde, about other companions of the Doctor. And we get to hear mentions of Professor Wright and Professor Chesterton, who still don't look a day over 60 or something along those lines so we get you know a call all the way back to the first doctor we get a mention of dorothy um, who is some i can't remember what she's doing now she's working for some other organization but again big finish you'll be thinking oh my goodness we've now got two different or three different possibilities uh, for ace now after she left the doctor and there are reference to harry sullivan there is re- or dear harry as i think it was and several others as well. And again, because you only get to see this once, I can't remember every single companion's name. But yeah, you could just see the audience at the BFI squirming. And indeed, I think Luke welled up at the mention of Ian and Barbara, just because, you know, it was... They never expected to hear them mentioned again all these years after they starred in Doctor Who. So it was a fan's wet dream, quite frankly. And it was just wonderful to watch. But we shall see, as I said, if it makes it to final transmission. It sounds like it's an interesting scene. I mean, just the way you're describing it, it really sounds like the sort of scene they have at the end of every season of Sarah Jane Adventures where somehow the whole team ends out in the backyard and they're staring (laughs) at the stars and they're waxing lyrical and doing all this poetic nonsense. I mean, it really sounds like something where they're sitting in that chair in the backyard and going, well, that was an exciting Mm. year. We saw aliens and monsters and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Really sounds like something like that, that they're sort of really reminiscing like an end-of-season thing. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, this is actually going to be the mid-season, uh, and it's during the day stars. But, yeah, you're right. The the atmosphere um, it's trying to create is definitely an emotive one. However, I, I desperately tried to watch it, as I said, through the eyes of someone who doesn't know about Doctor Who's continuity uh, or history. And it wouldn't have made sense to me. And I'm wondering whether or not it would have had that emotional impact in the same way the scenes that you're yeah. talking about do have. And I, even I felt that. At the end, I thought, well, what a great way to end a series. You know, stars and it's all kind of atmospheric and so on. Yeah, so I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, the more I talk about it, the more I'm beginning to think this is something similar in terms of promotion and publicity to the omission of the scenes with Rose in for Series 4. Now, when they were broadcast to the press, Billy Piper didn't feature in Partners in Crime and she didn't feature in Midnight and the other episodes that they uh, 
launched as well. So it was a complete surprise uh, to everyone when it was actually transmitted because it wasn't reported on. And I'm beginning to think this might be the opposite of that, the inclusion of something that will get fans talking about the show, but it won't actually go out when it's actually broadcast. Yeah, I'm wonder- I'm, I mean, I'm really, like you, I'm really struggling as to who this is actually mm. aimed at because I'm, I'm sort of wondering whether, whether they've looked at the demographics and the ratings and figured out that maybe the majority of the viewers are Doctor Who fans, that maybe this is one of those children's shows where the majority audience isn't children. Possibly. I, I think it's unlikely given a time it transmits here in the UK, and I think they are aware that their target market is, oh, I don't know, 8 to 12-year-olds. I'm not being specific there. I'm just coming up with um, some numbers. However, it's interesting that you mention, um, you suspect that it could be aimed at a much higher age range because... The, the BFI, you know, it's it's a very, very high-profile institution. Anything that's anything gets launched with a whole load of media attention, gets premiered at the BFI. And we were in the largest of the three cinemas that they have, and every single seat was taken. And I think the average age of all of the audience was probably 45. Now, that's either exceptionally concerning, or it means that the BBC brand management are so on the ball these days because they know the way to get people talking about the show is to engage with the fans because there are a mad bunch of obsessed individuals who will go online and basically do the marketing department's job for them. So I, I do think that, you know, mm. and, and I could say the same about Doctor Who Live, you know, it's just aimed in a slightly different way. The BBC are extremely commercially savvy these days. They know what they're doing and they know how to get the audience working for them. And that's why I think us fans are getting so much laid on for us at the moment. We win because we love it and we get to see more Doctor Who when it's not on television. And the BBC love it because we go off and do their promotion for them. That might be all the bombshells I can really handle for one particular um, episode, I think, James. I think we better call it a day here. Um, let us know your thoughts about this whole, well, what has now turned out to be a debacle to uh, feedback at the com. We'll be back in a very few short days with our Jago and Lightfoot episode, so please join us then. So until then, James, bye-bye. Bye-bye for now, Jeff. And I'll say bye-bye to myself, and we'll see you soon. <laughs> bye-bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.